All right, welcome back to This Stuff Matters, the podcast. I'm Tom Gray. Uh, this is our episode to be released on Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. It's the second in a three-part interview with revolutionary Ralph Stokes. And so if you were with us for episode one of this interview with Ralph, you, you kind of got a real feel for who he is and how unique of a man he is. And our hope, my hope, as we set our course to lead a revolution of souls and societies is not only to map out a framework and a plan for pushing the change forward that we so desperately need, but also to, to glean from cha- change agents, you know, to, to get a biography uh, in a sense uh, from people who have changed environments into which they have, uh, they've lived their lives, uh, environments into which they've stepped in as participants. And so Ralph Stokes is at the top of my list of, of uh, guys who, who, who really have been used for the kind of change that I, I, and I hope all of us will be uh, will sign on to be a part of this army of revolutionaries. So, all right, as you're driving or whatever you're doing, just enjoy episode two of my interview with Ralph Stokes. Tom, we, we, you know, we, we have our differences. You know, uh, you know, you and I don't see eye to eye on every single thing, whether it's a Bible verse that we interpret differently or, you know, whatever that, that is. People have their differences. But one of the things that if you're open-minded enough to understand, we have more things that that are alike. We have more values that align than we are different. And, you know, it, the, the issue we have is that we, we sometimes become, you know, like they talk about, you know, people with that one voter value or one voter issue and they're going to vote issue. You know, you could have killed three people, but if you vote the way I do on this one issue, I, I'm with you. And so, you know, but you, you, you're you failing to see all the things we have in common. And right. as a country, you know, we are, as a people have so much in common and so much that, that we value together, but we get lost in the one or two things that... We, we we are different with or we have different thoughts on and we let that just consume us and yeah. so if we could concentrate on on the things that we we have in common the things we both agree on it you know i think we would be so much better off than just worrying about the one or two things that, that divide us well, well, and, and Ralph, the, that point you're making has application on every level of life and society. So your point about, uh, you know, the differences we have, that's true. Here, here's my, my thesis. I believe that's true regardless of any two human beings you put together in a friendship. Yes. <laughs> They're going to have their differences. And, and of course, I see that as in my job, uh, you know, working, trying to help married couples, for example. There's no two married people that don't have a lot of differences. And if they spend all their time focusing on their differences, the marriage won't work. And so on that level, it doesn't work on, you know, on some other family level or some organizational level or an athletic team or a society at large, we've got to build a common unity, start from a place of knowing we do have so much in common in spite of the fact that we are absolutely different and going to have differences. Um, and I think, um, you know, one thing, and Ralph, I know one. I appreciate in, in your book so much of uh, your connection to the the uh, how you are defined by your faith, your relationship with Jesus, and 
kind of seeing the world through the lenses of, you know, biblical frame of reference and, and a faith in Christ kind of a thing. But I, to me, that's one of the almost secret uh, ingredients to, to a bigger solution, even for our specific challenges in the United States, for example, we talk about whether it be, you know, kind of racial divisions. That, I think the biblical approach is, again, back to your, your focal point on, uh, you know, we have so much more in common than we have different. That's true for humanity of, I don't care what type of color or race you might break us up into. The truth is we are one race. Absolutely. We are, we are, and, and that's the biblical understanding is we're all descendant of one, one ancestors, and uh, we all have a common ancestor you go back to. That's the biblical understanding. And the creator of every single one of us, uh, you know, is God. We have one father in that sense, and we have, we have one humanity. I don't care. We've got different levels of melatonin in our skin or different whatever, however the differences are, you want to break it down, but we are one race. There, there is, and the commonality far exceeds, you know, the, the distinctions and the differentiation. So uh, yeah. it, it, anyway, it's a big deal to, to, to remember that and to build off of that, I think. You know, and when, you, when you're building a team, when you're building a business, when you're building, a, you know, a board, you know, you don't want everyone being of one mind, being the same. You want, you know, similar values, but you want different viewpoints of it. And, yeah. you know, if, if I'm sitting at a boardroom table with 12 board members, and if we all are agreeing on everything that's said, you know, we don't have 12 people, we got one. You know, you got mm -hmm. one brain sitting there and everybody's right. nodding their head. What you like, and the reason we spend so much time talking about diversity is that you know diversity is good because it's healthy to have different viewpoints and different perspectives and it challenges the status quo and it doesn't mean that you know you, you challenge my view of it doesn't mean that i was wrong but you made me re-examine why i thought the way i thought and i still may end up being in the same place but i re-examined all the whys and and and, and made sure i was you know believe in the right thing for the right reason as such so uh, you know I, I think diversity of thought diversity of, of, of people is very healthy for our society for our business for our lives for our teams and any thought you want you know, if, if everybody was the fast speedy wide receiver but you had no big guys to block for yeah. you you're not going to be very successful that's you right know? so you, you want a diversity of people that's right. And, and, and there's a biblical kind of, you know, uh, framework for understanding the value of that as well, where, you know, the, the Bible says a church functions that way. Every, there's different parts of the body, you know, not everybody's a hand, not everybody's an ear, not everybody. We need that, uh, the complementing unity of, uh, of, of the, the differences of the diversity. It's, it's huge. Um, Ralph is so good. All right, let me, I got a couple other things I want to ask you about. Um, the uh, well, one one thing is you talk about the lessons and the lessons I learned while overcoming the challenges of integration. And you, from in your journey, how important have the difficult lessons been in making you the man you are today? You know, the the times when you didn't, uh, you know, succeed in in what you were trying to accomplish. You were disappointed. You were faced opposition or other forms of difficulties. How 
Cause, cause we don't want, I don't, I don't like discomfort. I don't want my kids to go through pain and I don't want them to be let down. I don't, I want, I want, you know, whatever their expectations are at school or at a sport or whatever job, I want them to exceed their expectations. I don't want, you know, I don't want them to fail and struggle. And yet struggling and, and failing is, is so critical to, to, and I'd love to hear you talk about that. Cause you've, you've had, you've had the hard stuff along the way. Well, you know, you know, one of the things that we, we learned in life is that, that we all fight for comfort. You know, I, I want to be comfortable. I want to make enough money that, that I can live in a, in a nice house. I want to make enough money that I can buy a nice car. I, I can, you know, pay my bills each month without having to stress about, you know, where the next payment is coming. You know, we all want to be comfortable. We want to fight for comfort. But the place where there's the least amount of growth is in comfort. And so, you know, one of the things that we do is fight for a place that you should, you know, we want to be there, but you don't want to stay there. And I, I remember one of the great athletes, LeBron James, talked about, you know, if you find out that, you know, your skills develop so so well at your, the gym that you're playing, if you ever become to figure out that you're the best player in the gym, you know what you need to do? Change Go to a different gym. gym. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Change gyms. Yeah. You need yeah. to keep challenging yourself and, 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 and being comfortable. And as, as someone said recently, you know, comfort is the enemy of greatness. You know, mm -hmm. when you get to be comfortable, you stop growing. You stop challenging yourself. So, so one of the things I wrote down early in life is that comfort is the enemy of greatness. If you ever have this desire to be the greatest that you can be, comfortable is not the place you want to be. And so, you know, while, yes, I, I've gone through some struggles. Yes, I, I, I failed. Uh, yes, I made mistakes. But one of the things that I determined is that the, the failures and the mistakes are things that I need to be reminded of, you know, and, and that, that because you, you don't want to, to, to Forget this, as you say, you know, those who forget tend to be doomed to repeat them, the errors. And so, you know, I, I've allowed the, the, the mistakes of life to, to be a reminder, but not a defined. And so mm -hmm. I'm not going to be defined by my mistakes mm -hmm. and my errors, but I'm going to be reminded of those. Mm -hmm. And so as you go through life in there, you know, the, the things that, that I fail that. And one of those alludes to a story that I can share with you about my insurance world. You know, when I started in the insurance world, I was the first black corporate insurance salesman selling employee benefits, medical, dental, vision uh, for a company called Provident Life and Accident. And I was the first black they had ever hired, one of the first blacks in the Southeast to try to sell employee benefits to all these large corporations big companies for medical dental vision for all their employees and they'd never seen a black person and so on one I, I was based in Greenville South Carolina when I started my career and one of my first calls were uh, was in a, to a company in North Georgia as a, a salesperson and my boss told me oh you're probably not going to be successful because the person that you're going to deal with is a known racist and he's probably not going to buy from you so you probably shouldn't go down there to, to north georgia to try to sell this account 
Well, you know, I, my job is to sell, and if I don't go do it, how am I going to grow? So he asked me to take a, a, a partner with me, and I went down and I made my big first major sales call. And, you know, as I sat there, the gentleman that the president of his company wasn't very nice to me. He wouldn't speak to me, wouldn't address me, and I had a white colleague with me. Every time he asked a question, he would ask it to the, my white colleague, but he wouldn't address it to me. And the first couple of questions he asked, my colleague couldn't answer, but, you know, my colleague would uh, refer to me. I answered the question. I answered the next question. But then as he got deep into the meeting, you know, the, the president asked me two or three questions that, quite frankly, I couldn't answer. I didn't know the answer. I didn't do a good job. But I, I, not only did I not answer, I didn't do a good job controlling the meeting. I didn't do a good job of presenting the material. Uh, so it was just not very good. And when I got back to my office in Greenville, the first thing my boss said was, he didn't buy from you, did he? I said, no, he didn't. He said, I know he wouldn't. He was a racist. It's not your fault. It wasn't you know, your poor, poor performance. It was his. He just didn't want to buy from you. But I realized that day that you know, I said to my boss, Marshall Dye, I said, Marshall, if, that, if I had presented in the fashion I did to my mother, she wouldn't have bought from me today because my performance was so poor. I didn't have the information. I didn't know the answers. I didn't control the meeting. I didn't uh, present the product very well. It was poor performance on my part, and I have to own that. And he was trying to give me an excuse that I didn't have to own it. I could, you know, I could feel good at night. I could go home and sleep when I put my head on the pillow that it wasn't my fault. But I knew within myself it was mm. based on poor performance. He may have, or may not have been a racist. Didn't matter. The performance was so poor. So mm. I made a commitment that day to improve mm. my skill sets to get to, mm. and from there. I got four separate insurance degrees over the next four years. I got, uh, I took presentation training. I worked on my skills and my ability. So fast forward several years later, I, I, I was based in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I went to a place in Middle Tennessee to present to a really large company. And the day before they told me I could not come because the president of this large company not only was a racist, but he was the imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan of Middle Tennessee, and he would not meet with me. And, and so they asked me if I could send a colleague, and they said, uh-uh, and you'll still get paid. And I said, no, that's not the way this works. If I'm going to be paid, I'm going to do the work. And so fast forward, I go to the, the Middle Tennessee the gentleman treated me in the same similar fashion. He wouldn't address me. He wouldn't shake my hand. He wouldn't look me in the eye. And he wouldn't ask the questions to me. He asked them to my colleague. And each time my colleague deferred to me. But this time, I did a better job of understanding. I controlled the flow of the meeting. I controlled. I knew when he was listening and when he wasn't. I knew when the answer was resonating with him and I could continue. And when it wasn't, I could discontinue talking and cut off and move on. And I, I, I knew how to do my job well. Material, I knew well. He asked several questions to my colleague. And then a after a while, 
I answered all the questions. After a while, he stopped asking my colleague and he started just throwing the questions up. He still wouldn't ask me, well, what if this happened? And what if it, and I would answer. And as, as the meeting progressed near the end of the meeting, he stopped throwing the questions up and he started looking directly at me and said, well, if you know all that, what if this happens? And what if, and now he's directing the questions directly to me. And I could answer. I could look him in the eye. He's now making eye contact with me. And I answered in such so well that at the end of the presentation, this gentleman who was the Imperial Wizard of the Clickwood Clan of Middle Tennessee stood up and said, I'm buying from you. We will buy our benefit from you. And he extended his hand to me and shook my hand. And to me, that was an outstanding success. But it was born several years earlier when I was given an excuse on my performance, but I knew it wasn't, you know, just that excuse of this man was racist. It was my poor performance. I then decided to improve my skill sets, get better at my job, to go out and, and make sure I could get so good at what I did that I could even sell to you if you dislike me because you know my skill sets will outpace your dislike. And it happened. So the, the message I have for people is, you know, don't you know, let the, the failure in North Georgia be a reminder, but not a definer. And so it didn't define me. I went in and improved my skill sets and it allowed me to grow because I didn't make excuses. And I was successful in selling to an Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan because I was committed to improving and getting better and not let excuses lead me. All right. I told you it was going to be worth your listen to hear uh, some of the lessons and some of the stories from Ralph's life. And I hope you are inspired. And, you know, there are uh, the, the challenge that we talked about back in our um, really on our August 23rd episode that we believe we can change the world. And I know that one of the great challenges to believing that is that the the changes needed sometimes seem insurmountable and the, the task at hand seems impossible. And out of these first couple of uh, segments here, these episodes of, of this interview with Ralph Stokes, I hope you're really encouraged. I mean, imagine, you know, if you've ever seen that, uh, that movie, Remember the Titans, where it kind of featured this high school football team uh, at the point in time when when high schools were integrated and you know Ralph's stories there of I mean that's that's the life he lived going from Robert E. Lee High School I mean from uh, Booker T. Washington High School to Robert E. Lee High School and and you know the first meeting uh, of this now to be integrated uh, high school football team where the black kids all sit sat in one section of the bleachers and there's a couple of vacant sections until you got to the other uh, section where the white players were sitting. And I, I would imagine if we had dropped in on that scene, it would have been easy to, to assume that, that uh, boy, this is, this is too much uh, to overcome. Uh, the challenges here are too, too uh, deeply ingrained, and yet not the case. Uh, I love how he talks about how uh, we did. We filled in those middle sections that was the gap between us, and we became a team, and we highlighted what we have in common, and um, anyway, just just incredible. And of course, they won the state championship, and and so I hope that that will be a, a source of motivation and inspiration to us as we look forward to whether it's on the personal level, what what needs to change in your soul and mine, and then 
oil boy as we begin to tackle the changes that need to take place in our society. Uh, we can change it. Uh, I give you evidence uh, in the life of Ralph Stokes. So I'm so thankful for him. Now, after this episode, this will be the last episode or the next last episode and before we uh, have the live lunch event with Ralph. I assume by the time we get to the, the final of these three interview episodes that our, our lunch will be sold out. So grab your tickets. It's in the show notes where you can click the link and get your, get your lunch spot to, to meet Ralph. Uh, submit via text message or voice message to me any questions you might want to ask Ralph at the lunch. We'll start collecting those ahead of time, but but be sure to get your ticket at Maggiano's Little Italy, Wednesday, September 14th. This Stuff Matters Live with Ralph Stokes. All right. Well, until next time, I'll, uh, I'll look forward to being with you again. This is Tom Gray, and This Stuff Matters. Matters.